Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician Dr. Robert Jackson, his wife Carlotta, and his daughter Hannah Miller, this program will help you understand that human beings are more than just physiology, that for people there's more than just diagnosis and treatment, and that in life there's more than just medicine for a cure. This is More Than Medicine, and the doctor is in. We have an interview today with Paul Watson. Paul, I want to welcome you in. Thank you so much for being here with us this week. Thanks. Good to be here. And uh, we, we don't have Mom here, Carlotta. She's actually at home. Uh, I had to. My husband had to do some things for our church, so he's not. he couldn't take care of the girls. So my mom volunteered to keep the girls there so I could go. be here to run the equipment. Um, yeah. But, Paul, thanks so much for being here. And, of course, Dad's here with us as well. But, Paul, just to start us off, tell, us, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and um, about what disciple making what the disciple making movement is okay tell us a little bit about all that sure i was a missionary kid growing up i left the united states when i was seven i've lived in hong kong malaysia india and singapore and i've got to see my father and my mother work with a wide variety of peoples helping them fall in love with jesus and they hit a point in their career where the things that they had been so successful doing up to that point were not working to reach what was known as an unreached people group. That's a people group where less than 2% of the population have ever had a chance to hear about Jesus at all. In this particular people group, it was 180 million people with only 1,000 believers and 27 churches. And so it was an area known as the graveyard of missions and missionaries. Very, very tough to reach people group. And the things they've been doing that worked in Hong Kong, that worked in the United States, that worked in Malaysia, just weren't working. And so my dad went back to the drawing board, which for us is the Bible, Mm -hmm. and began to read it from cover to cover saying, Lord, you know, what I learned in seminary that works so well is not working. What I learned from experience in the field is not working. What do I do? Because I can't believe that you call me to reach a people group without also preparing a way for that to actually happen. So you're going to have to teach me. I think that a lot of times when we're reading scripture, we forget that Jesus is our guide. And we can Mm -hmm. ask him to teach us how to obey his word and he will be faithful to do so. And that's what he did in this case. My dad, over the course of a year, began to see things emerge that he likes to say were hidden in plain sight. But until desperation drove him to remove the nationalistic and denominational lenses through which he read scripture, he had not seen them before. And when his desperation allowed the Holy Spirit to come in and began to show him those things, he was able to take those glasses off and come up with some different ways of helping people fall in love with Jesus. And he began to put those together, he took them to this people group there in northern India and began to fail his way forward over the next couple of years. At the end of those couple of years, he ended up helping uh, five indigenous churches start. These are churches that were started and led by Bhojpuri people and that were not supported by any outside American dollars because to do so would really set the church up for failure. Over the next few years, those churches would begin to multiply into what was then called a church planting movement. Now we call it a disciple-making movement. And and, and to put it just in short, in 20 years, we saw 80,000 churches start and 2 million people come to know Jesus. So and all of those churches were started with people who did not know Jesus. So none of it was transplant growth because there was no there were no places to transplant them from. 
And so that's what we did there. And that's now called a disciple-making movement. A disciple-making movement is when we see a hundred new indigenously-led churches started in a three to four-year period that have reached four generations in multiple streams. And those are the elements of that, of that definition that allow us to really measure as to whether this is going to be self-sustaining by local indigenous work or if it's going to have to continually be supported by the outside. If it has to be supported by the outside, it's not a movement. And we want to set it up so that the local body, those local believers, can carry the ball forward in making disciples and seeing people in their church fall in love with him, transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and able to do that over and over again until ultimately we see them sending missionaries out to other countries as well. And Paul, have you all seen that happen in places other than that one location in northern India? Absolutely. Disciple-making movement methodologies are being practiced by most uh, missionary organizations across the world today. Uh, most of the big ones have implemented some level of, of those methodologies within their organization. And we're tracking, the last number I saw, over 90 movements happening around the world. Uh, we're seeing them happen among every socioeconomic, back from rich to poor. We're seeing it happen among people groups. We're seeing them happen from religious backgrounds, whether they be uh, Roman Catholic, whether they be Muslim or Hindu. You name it, we're seeing movements happen among them. And I believe that what it is is that God is saying... It is time that all peoples on the face of this planet have a chance to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and respond to it, no matter what. Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. Well, let's, let's parse it down a little bit more. What is disciple-making to you guys? Yeah, for us, disciple-making is taking someone who doesn't know about God at all and helping them fall in love with Him. So I tell a lot of people, I say, imagine it this way. Imagine I came to you and I said, uh, and I said look, uh, I believe that God has given me a vision of the person that you need to marry. And he's sitting out in the parking lot right now. Say yes to him, because, and it will change your life for the better. I guarantee you he's awesome. But if you say yes to him, you're going to have to leave everything behind and go live with him in the middle of the former Soviet Union because he's going to be a missionary. And you won't see your friends and your family or your home country for at least 10 to 20 years. Now, would, would anybody you know say yes to something like that? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but we do that with people all the time when it comes to following Jesus. As we go, I've got this guy you've never met. You know nothing about him. But I'm telling you, he's going to change your life for the better. And if all you have to do is say yes to him. Now, he'll force you to give up everything. You'll give up your family. You'll give up your community. You'll give up your livelihood. And you'll go live with him. But let me tell you, life is going to be better. Would you accept that? Now, it does happen because there are people out there who are so hungry that they're willing to give up everything to follow Christ. But there's a growing number of people in the world who aren't aware that they're hungry, mm-hmm. aren't aware that they need something more than they, happen, they have now. And so we say it's a lot like this. What if, you, what if you knew two friends would be good for one another? And you threw a party at your house and you invited both friends over. And you just knew that in the course of the party that they'd get to meet each other. And then what do you do? You throw another party, and you invite them over. You throw another party, and you invite them over. And you watch for that first sign where the guy or the young lady comes over and says, tell me about that, that other person. You say, oh, well, let me tell you all about them. And so, and it's very deliberate, it's very intentional, but it's helping them fall in love over time as opposed to trying to set up an arranged marriage. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, it's more natural for people, and they're less likely to respond with rejection than they would previously. 
uh, particularly among people groups like uh, Muslim background people groups or Hindu background people groups, where they feel like saying yes to Jesus would be denying their culture. And so now we help them fall in love with Jesus and say, no, I'm actually a better Indian or I'm a better Saudi than I am when I'm following Christ than without him. And they understand that following Christ does not mean they give up the good elements of their culture, but instead his gospel begins to transform their culture so that it becomes the way that God intended it to be in the first place. So when we talk about disciple making, we talk about helping people fall in love with Jesus to read and obey his commands and transform their families, their community, and ultimately the world. Wow. Well, you know, I've heard you share stories about India and Africa. What kind of impact would disciple ma- would a disciple-making movement have in the United States? Well, it's going to have the same kind of impact that we see in other countries. When we've seen the gospel of Jesus come into villages, we have watched crime drop to zero. We, we really have. We've watched crime go down. We've watched them become more sanitary because people are starting to care for their environments for the first time. We've seen husbands stop beating their wives. We've seen, we've seen uh, children being treated as, as human beings and not abandoned on the side of the road. We see the sick taken care of. We see the poor and the infirm taken care of. We see the elderly treated with respect. So all of those elements that we read in Scripture that we're supposed to do, because people are now reading His Word and saying, how do we obey this within our context? We start to see those things happen. And when you see those things happen, people realize they can't live the way they lived before. And so in the United States, man, I see the fact that we don't have people flying signs on the side of the road because they don't need to anymore. Mm -hmm. I see the fact that we have people caring and that we we don't have enough work to keep state-run foster care systems in place Mm -hmm. because all the children are being adopted faster than they're being being thrown out of homes or having to be evacuated from homes. Mm -hmm. I see churches that are living and active and that, that they're the first phone call of any first responder or government agency when there is a problem or a need to be met. I see that we don't have a lack of funding in order to transform things because the, the money is already there because people are realizing that it's not about tithe, it's about living generously and transforming what happens. I believe that as we read in the Old Testament that the altars of Baal are torn down and children are no longer sacrificed, that we will see agencies like Planned Parenthood be completely defunded, we'll see personhood happen, and we will no longer sacrifice babies in this country the way that we have. I believe we'll tear down every casino and I believe that we'll see every single strip club or other sex-related business shut down. Not because we had to pass legislation, but because people don't want them anymore. Because they realize when the gospel of Jesus Christ takes place in the hearts of people that it drives out darkness and sin and there's no longer support for it in our economy. That's what happens when we see movement. We've seen it happen over and over again around the world, and I believe that that's what happens today. The problem in the United States today is we seek to change things by legislation. And if you change legislation without changing hearts, all it takes is a, is a change in government to roll back everything that was done. But if we see a change in hearts, the way a disciple-making movement will change the hearts, then it won't matter who comes into power, who comes into authority, the people of God will not allow evil to reign once again. We see it happen in the Old Testament, in generations that turn back to God 
God and cried out to him, and I believe that we can see it happen today. And so for me, the most patriotic act I can do as an American citizen is to help my brothers and sisters fall in love with Jesus so that they can live in a country that is following him the way it was meant to be from the time of its foundation. We're talking today with Paul Watson. He's co-author of a book with his father entitled Contagious Disciple-Making, Leading Others on a Journey of Discovery. Paul, tell me what the name of your organization is and how does your organization help others become disciple-makers in the United States? Sure. So we, we really decided that since we had the book, that was a good place to start. And so we decided to call it Contagious Disciple Making as well, which is a great idea for the title of an organization, a terrible idea for our email addresses, which are now, uh, you know, paul at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com. So, uh, so I'm not sure that that was the greatest thing for us to do, but you know, it works out and, and we figured out the technology and we'll make all of that happen. But the way that we help see uh, people become disciples makers in the United States is we help them, first of all, recognize the small things they're doing every day that can be just slightly repurposed to make disciples. So it's like going to see a chiropractor versus a surgeon. You know, a surgeon's going to go in there and make massive changes to your body in order for it to do what's necessary. But a chiropractor is going to look at a body that is generally healthy and just help make small adjustments so that you can begin to walk in better health than what you had before. And we got a lot of good things that are here in our people. We've got a lot of good things that are being taught by churches, but a lot of times they're out of alignment with all the other things. And so our organization comes along and we help you recognize what you're doing in your life that if just pushed into alignment with some other things that you're probably already doing, in addition to some extra practices you may have not known about or forgotten about, then all of a sudden we can begin walking out the Great Commission and the Great Commandments in everyday life. So we help people take the baby steps, five minutes here, mm-hmm. ten minutes here, that may, are more intentional to help people fall in love with Christ. So for example, people tell me all the time, they say, Paul, I have a terrible time meeting people who don't know Jesus. I don't know how to connect with them. Everybody I know is a Christian. And I said, okay, well, um, do you go get coffee in the morning? Well, yeah. And I said, all right, here's what I want you to do. Next time you go get coffee, I want you to look at the barista in the eye, and I want you to ask him, do you have any great plans this weekend? That's it. Said, That's it? I said, yeah. He said, will that work? I said, try it. Well, then what do I do? That's all you need to do. And they come back to me, and I said, they go, oh, I asked that question, and all of a sudden I had this conversation with this barista that I've been going and getting coffee from for years that I never even knew their name. And I said, you know, that's all it takes is a casual conversation to begin relationship. And it's a casual conversation that begins the journey to making disciples. Mm-hmm. And so it's that little shift. And they go, well, what do I do next? And I said, have another casual conversation. That's right. That's right. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to find five friends. And I want you to ask them to pray for that barista. And I want you to ask them to help God move that conversation from being casual to being meaningful. Well, what's a meaningful conversation? Well, meaningful conversations whenever they share something personal. And I think that that's super important. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, what do I do after that? You have another meaningful conversation. Well, what do I do if they tell me something I don't know how to respond to? It's easy. You say, how'd that make you feel? That's all you have to do. I said, yeah, it'll work with your wife too. 
Try it. <laughs> it works great with your wife. It works great with your wife. Now tell me, how did that make you feel? Or tell me more. You know, I'd love to hear more about that. There's nothing wrong with those things. And so we began to take these tiny steps. They start to see it happen, and they're realizing they're having all these conversations with people that they didn't even know weren't following Jesus before. But it starts to come out. We had the other day, one of the people we're coaching came up to me, and he said, one of the ladies that I've been serving for the last few months, you know, here or there, I'd help her take her groceries into the house or something like that. She reached out to me, and she said, Hey, Stephen, um, I just... You know, you know I'm a lesbian. I said, yeah. And she goes, you know, you've been helping me for so long and everything that I've, I've come to a decision and, and I want to share it with you because you just seem like a safe place to have that conversation. He goes, all right, well, what is it? Well, I don't think I need to be a lesbian anymore. I, I want to come back and I want to learn more about God. Could you help me with that? He's like, I'd love to help you with that. Now, he never brought any of that up, never once said anything negative about this person or the lifestyle choices or anything like that. He treated her with dignity and respect as we are supposed to according to the gospel of Christ. And it was the Holy Spirit working through the prayer that he was, had multiplied on her behalf and the Holy Spirit working through his actions of love and care and concern that helped her understand that he was a safe place to talk to. And that's what we mean when we talk about helping people do it. And so we provide uh, coaching for people to learn how to take those baby steps. You know, when people are starting off getting healthy again, they need a coach to come alongside them to help them build those habits. And so our organization, we have people like myself, like Rebecca, like the others that we're raising up who come alongside them and provide that coaching. We provide communication between it so that they can talk to other people who are on the same kind of journey and begin to learn from those. You might talk to a stay-at-home mom who homeschools two kids in Escondido, California, and her experiences might help a stay-at-home mom with three boys here in Columbia, South Carolina, be able to make those same kind of changes and mutually encourage and pray for one another. And then on top of that, we also provide a community because when you're dedicated to making disciples, you start to see everything differently. It's no longer I'm enrolling my children into this aerobics class so that I can go get my latte in peace. It's now I'm enrolling my kids in this aerobics class so that I can sit outside with the other parents and have an opportunity to meet people I might not meet and get to build relationships over the next few months that I might not have ever done before. That's exactly right. I heard my daughter sing in a musical production last night and as I was looking at the, the folks that were singing, I love to sing myself, and I was contemplating what would it be like if I volunteered to sing in this operatory. Mm. I could get to meet all of the people that are there. I could find out who they are, what their spiritual needs are, and it would open up a wide panorama of ministry opportunities for me. And I began to calculate the opportunity to sing, which I love, and the opportunity to meet new people. Yes. And see, everything we do is not just for fun, not just for recreation, but is always an opportunity to meet new people. And, and one, one of my people that taught me how to do evangelism many years ago, he always said, Robert, show yourself friendly. Mm -hmm. He said, make a new friend every day. That's right. He said, the way to win more people to Christ is to make more friends. He said, the more people you know, the more opportunity you have to influence other people. 
That's exactly right. And in fact, I tell people a lot of times is I say, look, if you're not having fun making disciples, you're doing it wrong. That's right. I've had some of the greatest adventures I've ever had in the terms of making disciples. I've started Pokemon clubs. I have, I got my EMT license and certification. I, uh, I've studied Taekwondo. I've studied Krav Maga. I've done a whole lot of various things. I've summited mountains. I mean, all of these things that are in, in the process of making disciples, of helping people fall in love with Jesus, because they all give me an opportunity to either equip people or to help people um, who, have, who are far from God have a chance to talk to him in the first place. And so uh, I would sit there and say that if I didn't practice disciple-making, my life would be a lot more boring. There's a, a book that a lot of people don't read in the Bible. It's called Philemon. And in it, there's one of the verses that says, I pray that, you'd be, that you would be active in sharing your faith so that you may come to a full understanding of everything that you have in Christ. The implication is, is if we're not out there sharing our life, sharing what we believe, sharing our faith, and I'm not just talking about gospel presentation, but sharing all of it, then we won't truly know what it means to be a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. So if you're out there and you're like wondering, you know, where, what is going on with my life? Uh, you know, is there, is there any meaning to life? I don't understand. Church seems to be flat for me. My guess is it's because you're not living in a way to help live out the great commission and great commandments in your life. Mm-hmm. And that just by adding those two things back into your faith journey, you would start to have that life that you've always dreamed of having. You know, I tell guys all the time, I said, if you like to ride Harley Davidson's, I can help you use that to bring honor and glory to Jesus. If you want to go deep sea diving, I can help you do that too. If you want to you know, run a tough mutter or a go ruck or any of those kind of things, then we can help you use those to connect with people who don't know Jesus in a very, very natural way. And the reason I know that is because I've done it. That's right. And it's a whole lot of fun. One of the gentlemen that I'm discipling right now meets with me on Sunday nights, and he and I both love to deer hunt. Mm, and every time go. we meet, we're talking about deer hunting. And this last weekend, he and I spent two days together putting up deer stands, putting out corn for the deer. He brought his son with him, so I got to connect with his son. And we just had the best weekend together, working on the hunt club, spending time together, me pouring into his life. And we didn't just talk about deer hunting, but we talked about life, Mm. character development, and biblical principles of life. And there were a lot of things that went into that weekend other than just deer hunting and preparing for the upcoming deer season. But we were doing life together. That's right. And you see, that's part of what disciple-making is all about. But that's fun for me. Absolutely. That's a lot of fun for me. Yeah, and you could do that whether you're extroverted or you can do that whether you're introverted. I have a friend of mine who's very introverted, but she liked to crochet and knit. And she was involved in one of the more liberal campuses in Oregon. And so one of the things she did is she put up posters saying, I'm starting a crocheting and knitting club. And the people could bring, they could bring their, their crocheting and knitting projects to a room, and they could sit there and crochet and knit together. Now, it didn't mean she had to go out and meet a bunch of people. She just hung up a bunch of posters. And whoever would show up, they would do their projects together. And one by one, she'd get to meet people. And through meeting those people, she was able to start making disciples. All right, today we're talking to Paul Watson who co-authored a book with his father who's named David Watson. The title of their book is Contagious Disciple Making, Leading Others on a Journey of Discovery. Now, let me ask a question. 
Paul, what does coaching look like? I understand that your organization provides coaching for people who are interested in disciple making. And if somebody wanted to get starting, started on a disciple making journey, how, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, so we're a firm believer in taking baby steps and helping people just see what they're doing in their life and then making those steps forward. And we do that in a relationship. So a coaching, they would call in, and it's two 30-minute phone calls over the course of a month. And we just sit there, and our, and our first one's a little bit more of an interview, a little bit longer, but I get to know them, and I get to know their lives, or one of my people that who is also a coach gets to know them and gets to know their lives, and where they're at, what they're doing, how they're already engaging people. And then we began to take them and help them make small shifts in order to get things started. And then we help them on the next phone call say, how did that work for you? Okay, what did we learn from that? What do we need to make adjustments and differently? And then we provide them into that community of people and we help give them media like podcasts and things that we produce to help them on their journey and answer those questions. And then they begin to experience those transformations in their life. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, there was a, a woman named Jolene and uh, Jolene had moved to Escondido, California and she wanted to connect with her neighbors. And so she began to get involved in a lot of the different sub, you know, things they did in that suburb to connect. And one of those was Bunko Night. And in Bunko Night, she was talking about wanting to do a Bible study. And some ladies sat there and were like, well, we want to do a Bible study too. That'd be great. And these ladies were not followers of Christ. I mean, they were cultural Christians, but not followers of Christ. And so Jolene ended up jumping online, and she's like, well, how do I help these ladies with this Bible study? I don't even have a plan. I, I have a date now. They're all coming to my house, but I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so she searched Bible studies, and it happened to bring her to Contagious Disciple Making. She thought she was going to get a Beth Moore study, and she ended up finding us instead. <laughs> and uh, she reached out, and I picked up the phone, and, I said, and she said, Paul, what can I do? And I said, she wasn't expecting to get a hold of me. And, uh, and I ended up saying, well, Jolene, I'd love to help. And so I walked her through a particular way of reading scripture that is non-threatening, that begins in Genesis and works its way to Jesus. Yeah. Because we make, the, we make the assumption that people in America know enough about God to know who Jesus is. And that is not the truth anymore. It is not the truth. When we go straight to Jesus, we're actually setting people up for failure in their spiritual walk. So we advise everyone to start in Genesis. And so I walked her through it, her first Bible study, what would look like. And she ended up going and meeting with the ladies like a couple of days later and having her Bible study. And then after that, she called me back and we ended up talking a little bit more. And that began and she began going. It's 26 stories from Genesis to Jesus. They just finished. Now, the funny thing is, is that the two ladies that came to the group prayed to receive Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you this. What passage do you think they read before they prayed to receive Jesus? Any guesses? Uh, I'm not certain. They prayed to receive Jesus Christ after reading about the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. Ah, I wouldn't have thought that. Nobody <laughs> thinks that. Nobody thinks that. And here's why. They sat there and they read those sacrifices. And at the end of that, they said, wow, you know, sin is costly. Yes. It is and costly. It, it requires death. Yes. And sacrifice. And one of the questions we ask is, is, you know, what does that look like today? And, uh, or what does that look like in your life? And, uh, and one of the things that, uh, that they said there and said, well, we don't do sacrifice, but is that what Jesus did? 
And she's like, well, but yeah. And they're like, well, tell us about that. We want to hear more about that. And so instead of following through with the rest of the stories and making them wait, all of a sudden she just started storing her way from Leviticus all the way to Jesus. And the ladies were like, well, we want that. And so they ended up giving their lives to Jesus right there after reading the book of Leviticus. You see, we forget that when, when God said the word of God is living and active, we think that it's only the four Gospels or maybe Paul's letters. Yes, that's correct. But he can use the most obscure passage of Scripture to reach a heart. And he can help them fall in love with him. And that's what he did. Paul Watson, thanks so much for being here today. You've been telling us about your ministry and your book, Contagious Disciple Making, Leading Others on a Journey of Discovery. We're going to continue this conversation next week. So listeners, stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening to today's edition of More Than Medicine. You can follow Jackson Family Ministry on Facebook, Instagram, and on their website. Be sure to contact them via jacksonfamilyministry at gmail.com for speaking engagements and for book information. Join us next time for More Than Medicine.